Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Francesca Gino is an award-winning researcher who focuses on why people make the decisions they do at work and how leaders and employees can have more productive, creative, and fulfilling lives. She's the author of Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules in Work and Life, Sidetracked, Why Our Decisions Get Derailed and How We Can Stick to the Plan, and numerous articles that have been published in Harvard Business Review and other top business publications. She's the Tandon Family Professor of Business Administration in Negotiation, Organizations, Markets at Harvard Business School, also affiliated with the Program on Negotiation at Harvard Law School, as well as the Mind Brain Behavior Initiative at Harvard and the Behavioral Insight Group. She co-chairs Harvard Business School's executive education programs on behavioral economics, which, by the way, are now focused on how to apply behavioral insights to organizational problems and driving profitable growth. Francesca has been honored as one of the world's top 40 business professors under 40 and one of the world's 50 most influential management thinkers by Thinkers 50. She has also won numerous awards for her teaching, including the Harvard Business School Faculty Award by Harvard Business School's MBA class of 2015. Her studies have also been featured in The Economist, The New York Times, Newsweek, Scientific American, Psychology Today, and The Wall Street Journal. And her work has been discussed on national public radio and CBS radio. In this podcast, she shares why curiosity is so critical for your career and the future longevity of your organization. She offers some simple, practical tips that you can take to express more creativity and curiosity at work, and similarly, how your organization can unlock greater curiosity throughout their organization. Finally, she shares her definition of a rebel and argues why you should consider becoming one. Ladies and gentlemen, Francesca Gino. Francesca, thank you so much for being here with us and taking some time to talk to us. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So we always like to start with something a little personal. So I'm going to ask you to complete a sentence for me and with nothing to do with your work necessarily. People who really know me, they know that. Why would you complete that? I drive a race car. What? Wait, <laughs> tell me about that. <laughs> I grew up in a family who used to sit down on Sunday afternoon. This was primarily my dad and my brother watching Formula One. And so I always got interested in engines and speed. In the family, I was the one when the car broke down and my mom was driving, I was the one solving problems. And so I just got very interested into that. And so when my husband asked me to get out of the house and go buy a car because we really needed a second one with a family of six, I came back with a Volkswagen that is actually be a race car. So he's a very big guy. And so he said, I can't fit. And I looked at him and was like, I don't care. It's my car. <laughs> Not for you. <laughs> was it like an old Carmen Ghia or what was it? No, it's a full wagon rabbit, but it does have oh. seats of a race car and definitely the engine. Sounds like a scene out of like Fast and Furious <laughs> that I'm envisioning. <laughs> You know, your work is in organizational design and psychology and behavioral sciences. This is a topic on strategy, but you talk about things that many strategists are interested in. So my question is, and I ask this question of everyone, and I always get different answers. What would be your definition of strategy? 
My definition of strategy is to be intentional and thoughtful about what we want to achieve and how. And I like to think of strategy not only at the level of what's uh, the right strategy for the organization, but also the level of us as individuals. And so I think a lot, and this is the time of the year where I sit down with myself and say, okay, what do I want to achieve this year? And what's my strategy? What are the decisions that are needed that I'm going to take with intentions and thoughtfulness that are going to allow me to achieve my purpose or my set of goals? Love that. So then it starts with purpose and goals. Exactly. But you teach things that are actually not in those spaces. So I know that you're researching and aware and thinking about things broadly, but I want to know, what are you known for? I know you for rebel talent and I know you for your work in curiosity. Would you say those are things you're known for or what else are you known for? I think that you're capturing those two ideas. I have talked a lot about them in the last few years. In general, I'm known as the person who is interested in tackling problems that are on the minds of leaders today and doing so by acknowledging the importance of our human nature. I find that in a lot of work that I do, the problems are often caused by something that we can fix and we understand better if we really think through the psychology behind it. So, for example, with Rebel Talent, what I was struck by is leaders in organizations, employee in organization, falling into this routine that became comfortable and familiar, but stopped asking why or what if. And so, as I was visiting organization, I kept looking for processes or ways of working that to a person who didn't work there really made little sense. And then I would ask, why do you do things that way? Always the same answer. We've always done it this way. And so I was curious to try to understand why is that such a common answer? What is it about our human natures, but also organizational practices that puts us in a spot where that is the experience? We end up taking things for granted rather than coming to our work and the problems that we face with the same type of awe and curiosity that we used to have when we were little kids. I absolutely see why that's important from a personal level on a human level. And that's enough reason for that to be an important problem. But why is figuring that out also important for an organization? It is really important because I find that when we can understand really the root of the problems that leaders and employees face, we can then better identify strategies and tactics that can help because those strategies and tactics often work in contrast to or pushing back on the psychology that comes so naturally in our being human being. And so, for example, just to stick with curiosity, one of the things that I realize is that often the reason why in a meeting, in a brainstorming sessions, or in the day-to-day work of an organization, the reason why people tend not to voice their ideas is that they fear judgments. So you don't want to suggest different ways of working or doing because you fear that others will judge you. That's very much a psychological state 
But knowing that that is the case, you can work with the idea that I love that judgment and curiosity can't coexist. And so you can bring in curiosity and avoid judgment. And so if I were to then train people on how to bring their contributions forward would be by encouraging more curiosity or even bake curiosity into the way they suggest ideas. And so say, one of the things I'm curious about is why we're not considering factor X. And all of a sudden you have a totally different reaction, not judgment, but people engaging with you. How would you then, if you're on the receiving side of that curiosity, how can you encourage people to feel comfortable being curious? There are different ways that sometimes I tried in real organizational settings. One thing to point to is that curiosity is contagious. So if I'm the first to ask questions, to show interest in what you're saying, you're much more likely to replicate with the same approach to sort of mirror my posture of curiosity in a way that helps that relationship or that interaction. I often also work with leaders by using a tactic that I think is cheap, easy to implement, which I think is what you want to see in moments of potential change. Make it easy. And it's the idea of giving people learning goals. So in a lot of organizations, we have our goals for the years. They are usually very performance oriented. They're objectively measurable. But adding learning goals, it's really important because it helps people keep asking questions. So they stay curious. As it turns out, also the research points to a really interesting insight, which is you also end up performing better in your job. Hmm, that is fascinating. Can you just give me an example of a learning goal? Sure. I'll make it personal since I identify learning goals for myself. Some of it are related to the work I do. Some of it are not. So one of the goals that I have for this year is to learn how to become an effective board member. It's something that I'm curious about. I have colleagues who have taken on those positions and they're great. I have colleagues who have stories of struggle. And so I'm really curious about learning what makes board members effective and maybe one day be one myself. So saying yes to requests that have that tone rather than no. Another one is, this was on the list also last year, but I didn't make a lot of progress, is to learn how to play piano. So I have four small children. They're intrigued, they're learning, they're taking classes. And so I feel that it would be an extra opportunity for connection if I also learned. Love that. Yes, I love that. So what you kind of point to, I think, is you write a lot about what a leader can do in his or her behavior, mannerisms, how they can mirror the kind of curiosity that they want to engender, and then it becomes contagious. For someone that's in a strategy role that maybe doesn't have a lot of direct control or doesn't have a lot of direct influence, but can influence the systems, one thing that you're pointing to is what if we put into the cascading of objectives, learning objectives, and not only outcome objectives, have you come up with anything else like that that's sort of systematic that we might consider as a leverage point? So I think that that is where you see, in general, more likely success in change initiatives that you somehow train, teach, educate leaders to show up differently in their work, but then you trigger reflections or provoke a thought on what are the processes and systems that could, in fact, change to 
support what you want to see differently happen in the organization. It's interesting that learning objectives could actually be a systemic level change. Because again, when I think about a lot of organizations, many of the HR processes that I have had a lot of experience with or studied are processes that involve conversations around objective performance goals for the year. And so systematically, let's make that change. And then a leader can reinforce those behaviors in moments of a meeting or interactions, asking people what it is that they're learning, or is there another way to approach these problems? And so they broaden the conversation in a way that allows for more curiosity. Yes. And I can think from a strategic perspective that it's kind of like doing something that creates option value that you don't know how it will be ultimately deployed or used, but it buys you the option to do so. This is sort of a tactical question, and I don't know if you have an answer to it, but I would imagine that if you're coaching someone to include learning objectives in addition to outcome objectives in their own goals or in that of the people that they are managing, there's probably like a gray line between a learning and outcome objective. So I would say play piano in front of a hundred people by December 31st sounds like an outcome, right? But not so much a learning objective. How would you distinguish between those two? It's interesting because sometimes the difference is in how you state it. So my learning objective of I want to learn how to play the piano, it's more about the discovery. It's more about the joy of doing it rather than being measures in such a way that leads to a different conversations or puts me in a position to experience greater potential in promotions. And so it's really for the sake of discovering and filling some curiosity that you have about your abilities or expanding your interests. That's the distinction that I would keep in my own mind. And sure, maybe your learning objective or the skill that you're developing or the interest that you're taking on might translate down the line into something that is more objective. So I'll give you a quick example for an organization. I work with managers to help them have this type of conversations. And some of these conversations were happening in 2020 and 2021. And so some of the learning objectives that people people had were related to issues of diversity and inclusions. And so they would say, as a learning objective, when I educate myself about race or racial disparities in the United States, and I might be doing so by reading certain books that are in that category or in that field. And so you could imagine that that is something that improves relationship at work, that allows you to collaborate with people more effectively in a way that ends up in an outcome that is measured. But that's not the why you're doing it. So that's what's different. The intrinsic value of the pursuit. I read something about one of your fellow Italians, Leonardo da Vinci, and it was a piece on his notebooks and just how curious he was about so many things that were just across many, many different domains. And he had like tens of questions every day that he was exploring. 
Yeah, I think that that's how you build that muscle. Actually, I should have said you rebuild that muscle because curiosity, we're all born with it. If I look at my four children, they're all quite young. It's the land of curiosity and pushing boundary and asking questions and experimenting constantly. But as we grow older, we then fear being judged. And so we stop asking. We get focused on performing rather than exploring. And it's interesting that when I was looking at children development and some of the data and the literature in that field, I was struck by the finding that curiosity peaks at the age four and five, and then it declines steadily from there. But I thought that it was a half-told story. I thought, well, as adults, we make our own choices. And so especially when we're passionate about the work that we do, sure enough, curiosity is going to pop back up. And I was wrong. I put the idea to test, which is what I often do when I have some hypothesis. And I collected data on hundreds of employees who were starting new jobs or new roles. And sure enough, across the board, independent of the industry and role and company, you see curiosity being pretty high. But you go back to the same people nine, 10 months later, curiosity had dropped by at least 20% across the board. And so it raises the question of what is happening? Why is people are losing their curiosity? And I think that, again, there is the same fear of new role, new place. Others are going to judge me if I try to do things differently, if I keep asking, if I come up with questions rather than answers. And so we just follow the usual ways of working. And that's such a management kind of dogma is don't just come to me with problems. Give me answers, right? Wow. So I have so many questions of you, but I know that we're reaching the top of our time with you. I want to find out what you're working on next, but it would be remiss if you didn't at least tell us what a rebel is. We think of rebels the wrong way. We think of them as troublemakers, as jerks, as show-offs. And I wrote the book partly to say that rebels can be actors of positive change. And in fact, the rebels that I talk about studied and followed and tried to mirror in a sense, and feel inspired by are people who are quite constructive in what they're doing. And that comes with courage and a lot of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love your term that rebels break rules, but in a constructive way. Just tell us what you're working on next. I know that you're doing things on behavioral finance applied to organizations and I'm seeing inklings of things. So what's your next research area? What keeps me up at night these days and I'm researching, writing case studies on both at the level of leaders and organization is ways in which we can talk across difference and interact across difference more effectively. So in a world that seems quite divided where people have very strong preferences, how do we truly create value out of those differences rather than experiencing them as a barrier? Some of it is exploring differences of opinions and why in certain cases you end up in heated conflicts versus productive debates. And some of it is connections that leads to pretty remarkable collaborations where you really get to see amazing synergies. Why is it that incompatibilities lead to that and create a lot of value? When does that happen and when it doesn't? That sounds, yeah, the importance of that to all of us is, especially now, globally and nationally profound. 
Francesca, again, thank you for the work you do, for spending time with us. I wish we had more time with you, but I know you've got a lot to do and I really appreciate you spending some time with us. I am really thankful that you're helping me put these ideas out there and hopefully the listeners are going to find some insights that they can put to work right away. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, how would they find you? How should they find you? In all sorts of ways. I try my best to put ideas out there, but the best way is probably my personal website, francescagino.com, as well as the book websites where people can test how often they embrace their inner rebel. I love that. Love that. Thank you. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers. Outthinkers.